Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, head to www.sexedwithdb.com and buy some of our hot new merch. Follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast. And if you want to advertise with us, shoot us an email at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. In today's episode, I fangirl over Ita O'Brien. Ita is the UK's leading intimacy coordinator and founder of Intimacy On Set, which provides services to TV, film, and theater when dealing with intimacy, sexual content, and nudity. Ita pioneered the role of the intimacy coordinator and since 2014 has been developing best practice intimacy on-set guidelines, which have been widely adopted in the industry and championed by the Time's Up movement and others, advocating for safe, fair, and dignified work for everyone. Ita has worked on numerous high-profile productions, including Normal People, Sex Education Seasons 1 and 2, I May Destroy You, and more. Listen up for Ita. Creating a homemade dildo or a usable copy of your own penis is rapidly turning into the new standard in ultra-custom sex toys, thanks to Clonawilly. Clonawilly has been all about dick since 96 and brings you a DIY penis or vulva molding kit for your favorite sex toy or memento. Whether it be for a birthday, Hanukkah, or just because, Clonawilly is the perfect gift. Use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase at www.clonawilly.com. Meet Pandia Health. By people with uteruses, for people with uteruses, and led by a doctor, Pandia Health makes your life easier by bringing birth control by mail. Pandia Health offers free and confidential delivery of the pill, so you don't have to go out of your way to get the healthcare you need. Skip the trip to the pharmacy. Go to PandiaHealth.com, that's P-A-N-D-I-A Health.com, and use code SEXEDFREE to get a free telemedicine appointment for the first 50 people who sign up. Follow them on Instagram, at PandiaHealth. Offer only valid in Arizona, California, Florida, Texas, and Wyoming. Sex Ed with DB is supported by Emojibator. Emojibator believes in humor and education to promote a society that celebrates pleasure. Their fun and affordable collection of vibrators is inspired by the sexiest of emojis. That means eggplants, chili peppers, bananas, and pickles, oh my. They even have a line of adorable animal toys like a kitty cat, chicky, and whale that do a whole bunch of naughty things. Find all of their body safe toys for pleasure at emojibator.com and use code SEXEDWITHDB for 25% off your purchase. Ita, hello, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Danielle, and it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Oh my gosh, I am just such a big fan of your work, and it's kind of crazy how you can hear about someone and like watch what they're involved in, and then all of a sudden you reach out to them and you're just open to being here, which is like (laughs) the coolest thing in the whole world. So thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for reaching out. And um, I'm always delighted. And also, it's actually really important to have any opportunity to speak about the work, because the the role and the process is so new in the industries to to have any time to um, to share what we do and how we do it um, is really appreciated. Well, this is definitely the space for it. So let's go ahead and, and get started and share your name, your pronouns and what you do. 
My name is Ita O'Brien. My pronouns are she, her, and I am an intimacy coordinator, founder of the of the company Intimacy On Set and trainer of intimacy coordinators for the industry. Love it, love it. What was sex ed like for you growing up? So I grew up in a very strict Irish Catholic family in southeast London. My mum was from um, the north of Ireland um, and my dad is from the south. And I went to a convent school with nuns and my sex education. And I can see this beautiful um, biology teacher as I speak um, purely in our biology lessons. as We did the anatomy of the male and the female genitalia organs. And this beautiful teacher was eight months pregnant. Oh, my goodness. And she was charged, obviously. And I remember she stood up with her back against the wall, her hands behind her back, looking down, rocking on her feet at her, you know, pregnant belly. And all she had, all she was saying to us is, well, of course, this act can only happen within the bounds of matrimony with the intention of making a baby. Of course. And that was and that was it. Oh, that was it. I knew the book there. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Okay, I'm picturing Dairy Girls as you're talking about co- convent. Not as fun as that, maybe. Maybe a little bit more somber. Um, wow, okay. So that was the extent. And did your parents talk to you about it at all growing up? Or did you talk about it with your friends? Like, how did you kind of, like, get get into it, I guess? Oh, no, I, I was very, very innocent. I spent all of my childhood dancing, literally. I would dance every night after school and all day Saturday and then do homework on Sunday. That was my, you know, childhood. And um, and so when I got my first boyfriend, I was so innocent. I did not have a clue. I really didn't have a clue. And, you know, and my mum, even as a midwife, um, when I got my first period and was trying to use a tampon and I came out and said, help. And she goes, oh, well, you've got some blood on it. You must know what you're doing. So, 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 so again, just, you know, that thing of, yeah, sort of the Irish Catholic aspect of it, you know, that, you know, sexual content only happens within the bounds of matrimony. And so therefore it doesn't need to be talked about. And somehow God knows how it means what, as soon as you get married, then it's going to happen spontaneously or you to know what happens. Um, So, so that was, yeah. So my sexual awakening with my first boyfriend was, you know, a real journey of discovery um mm-hmm. including um going to confession you know because of it was it was wrong um but anyway i i have journeyed through my life and i'm now with a beautiful partner we'll be together 25 years this Aww. year and um my son will be 24 this year and my daughter will be 21 this year so um Amazing. so yeah I've come a long way since those early days well, congratulations yeah you weren't really set up for success but no. um as you're about to to talk about i i want to know about your background and how you came to work in film and tv and theater and kind of more deeply like what is an intimacy coordinator i know in the beginning you said this was kind of a relatively new field and um, I'm super curious for uh, personal selfish reasons and to inform our viewers and listeners of this podcast and our content. How does one become an intimacy coordinator? Okay, well, there's three different aspects in this. Yes, there are. Yes, um, take one at a time. So I'll start off with what is my background. So as it happened, as my mum had come across from Ireland, she wanted me to do Irish dancing and there wasn't any in um, 1960. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I went to ballet lessons. I, my mum found a ballet lesson when I was three. And then the, the convent that I happened to go to had the most amazing children's ballet teacher who was the top 
children's teacher at the Royal Academy of Dancing, a lady called Madeline Sharp. And she had taught Beryl Gray and, um, you know, sort of was was absolutely the most fantastic teacher. Um, so I started doing ballet. And actually, there's a, a picture in this book of me, um, age seven, sort of. Can you oh see that? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, my um, gosh. Do you want to describe primary. it for our listeners? So in primary, you had these beautiful white dresses with pink sashes and um, the Royal Academy of Dancing were making, starting to make a film to chart the grades and so I was chosen to be one of the ones that danced primary and Margot Fontaine came and narrated it so um so yeah and then I became a scholar at the Royal Academy of Dancing so that's another picture of me in Margot Fontaine's the same book oh my Um, gosh way older yeah at 16 wow Um, that's impressive so anyway so I I ended up I had that training and then I ended up working as a musical theatre dancer in the end for 10 years and then I um, retrained at Bristolovic um, as an actor um, in 96 to 98 and I worked as an actor for eight years and then my kids were young and I was looking at what I can do when I was out of work and discovered the MA in movement studies which was a training to be a movement teacher and a movement director wow. um, and that was absolutely gorgeous because it uh, brought together all of my experience in between times as well I had in between dancing and acting I had trained also in various body therapies, so holistic therapy, holistic massage, on-site massage and reflexology. Um, So the MA and movement studies absolutely brought together all of those different aspects, my dancing training, my acting training, then my body work training in order to both um, physically transform, to train actors, you know, through the three-year training and to work as a a movement director in theatre, TV and film, which is helping the actor to transform, to bring the right detail to the physical storytelling. Um, And and that was an epiphany. It was so fantastic doing the MA movement studies. I really, you know, the opportunity to, to, to bring in all of those skills and I love you know and I still do love just that sense of the core principles of what I can offer and the rigor um, as someone coming from a a dance background to bring to an actor's training and then all that detail of body awareness anatomy um, you know sort of not just the bones but all the systems of the of the body you know your um your breath your your um vascular system um digestive system nervous system um again all that detail brings more clarity to what an actor can understand to physically transform um and um yeah and then that that work gradually um developed um so yes yeah, so, so, so that was my training incredible and then um and then do you want to know how, yes, yeah, so, so then becoming an intimacy coordinator. Yeah, how do you do it? Like, first of all, well, just to comment, like, that is the perfect combination to set you up for success, to really know not only, like, how to move and how to feel, like, deep within your body, but also the acting portion. I mean, there's there's so many, like, different pieces of this puzzle that need to come together and you have them. So it makes a lot of sense that this would feel so so natural for you to move into this like next part of your career which is awesome absolutely and that's where you know when people say to me what do you need to be an intimacy coordinator and it is you need so all of these skills basically and it's not you know okay I like you say my journey has been that that's my life and all of those aspects 
are absolutely needed in the role of the intimacy coordinator. Um, and there's some, you know, there's very few people really, I would say, who have all of those, right. you know, but that's then what the training is about is saying you've got this and this, but you don't have this, or you have this and this, but you don't have this, but mm-hmm. we can get to that in a bit. I love that. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Okay, incredible. So, all right, let's do some uh, name dropping right now because the the amount of shows and and media that you've been involved with that I already like watched and loved and like then found out that like you were one of the people who are like are the 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 link that's like kind of connecting all is incredible. So let's just let's just do a couple of these TV shows that you've worked on that I absolutely love. So we have I May Destroy You, we have Sex Education. We have Watchmen and Normal People, among many, many others. But these are the ones that I've seen on my own volition before. You know, sometimes you prep when you're talking to guests and you're like, oh, you know, I got to watch. I got to watch and make sure I understand what their work is. But I already watched these. So I think I know pretty intimately what you do and and what your work is behind the scenes. But walk me through what it's really like to work behind the scenes on these intimate moments in some of these shows. Um, well, first of all, it's interesting and it's lovely that they're there because they actually chart my journey of developing the work. So Sex Education was the first programme production that invited me in to work as an intimacy coordinator. Um, and what was, um, I'm so grateful for that production to John Jennings, to Ben Taylor, to Laurie Nunn, to the whole production for, first of all, they knew that they needed to, to take care of their beautiful, amazing young cast mm-hmm. and that they knew that they needed to do, to do service to this amazing script that Laurie Nunn had written with this, you know, detailed, on the nail, honest content um, so and so it's a so it's an absolutely perfect marriage. And then for me, I by then had developed the work and had been teaching it since 2000 April 2015. So this was now to April, to April 2018. And I had put the work in place on one production. Um, I was actually a movement director on Philip Kedit's Electric Dreams. I did the episode Impossible Planet. Um, and there was a moment of, of um, sensual dancing. Um, so, so I said, right, if you want me to do that, this is the process by which we will work. And they put in place hook, line and sinker. But um, that was one moment, whereas on sex education, obviously it was needed across the, the arc of the whole production. And um, we very much worked together saying, you know, I've, I've been teaching this work and developing this work, but I don't know, I haven't yet done, um, you know, really understand the process by which it will, you know, when and what time we need to do what and when. Mm-hmm. So what what's, what was um, so fantastic with sex education is that we very much co-worked in integrating the process of the intimacy guidelines into the flow of the production, working out, you know, sort of when I would talk to people, the most important thing was that shift in a production to, um, to know that it had to make time for rehearsal. So rather than thinking of it like, oh, we've got the sex in or you, you, we can't take up too much time to rehearse, you'd never say to a stunt coordinator, um, you know, oh, we've got this huge big fight, but you know what, we, we can't have too much time to rehearse. Right. We'll just go for We'll just go for it on the day. And that's exactly what has been happening with intimate content before the role of the intimacy coordinator. But it was still quite a thing to get the mindset of going, okay, this is the shift. And how and when are we going to make time to rehearse? Um, we still need to work efficiently. Um, so so sex education, again, through the role of, of the open communication um, and then the process of agreement and consent of touch and then... Um, 
bring the skills of the intimacy coordinator to the um, awareness that this is a body dance, just like a tango is a body dance, just like a sword play is a body dance. Mm. So is two people moving together. You know, you've got that arc of what is the storytelling therefore what what's the rhythms that's going to tell us that storytelling what's the touch what's the proximity of these bodies are they going to be clothed are they going to be naked um so all of that is known and discussed in advance rehearsed in advance so that when those actors get in front of the camera they are personally safe they've been personally listened to they're autonomous and empowered meaning that they can bring all of their skills as the actor to really serving telling the beautiful luscious storytelling of this character and also because the shape of the intimate content is really clearly known, um, there's no concern about that, about where they're going to be touched, about where they're touching their fellow partner. The physical choreography is absolutely clear. So again, they're opening clear for the director, again, to be able to give bring all the notes that they need to, really giving that detail to the emotional content, making sure that their vision is served, that the nuances can be worked um, on, just as with any other scene. So again, you create really beautiful, brilliant storytelling, as you see with all the beautiful, funny, awkward moments in Sex Education. Um, Watchmen, oh, I had the joy of working in um, in Wales. So I did all the work in, um, in Wales with Jeremy Irons and Alicia did the work in the US, Alicia Rodis. And um, so there, there was actually a lot of nudity was wanted and um, and then with one intimate content and um, absolute joy to work. Watching Jeremy Irons work is, oh, what an incredible professional, the detail that he brought. And then, you know, joyously bringing, yeah, there's, like I say, there was a lot of nakedness. Um, <laughs> yes, there definitely was. I was kind of surprised. I was like, oh, my, I did not expect that really. But, you know, it's an HBO show. You got There's got to be at least a couple naked scenes in an HBO show. Oh, but like with that, you know, a lot of it you know, was absolutely, um, you know, within the storytelling, like uh, the moments where you have these babies that are like tadpoles that are, mm-hmm. you know, growing in this lake and then how they're, they're, they're um, genetically sort of like aged, you know, how they right. grow within this incubator. So again, this, the, the nudity oh, was not genius. gratuitous. Yeah, it was absolute genius and so beautiful. And then, um, you know, the, the physical storytelling was, um, you know, with, with his clones of his, of his servants. Totally. Um, so oh, what, a, what a wild show. I really highly oh. recommend everyone watch it. And yes, totally, totally not gratuitous. Yeah, definitely intentional and meaningful and very much like part of it. It makes a lot of sense why those scenes were included. Absolutely. Um, so I was really proud to have worked on that one. But also, I completely agree with you. And I watched the whole production. I was blown away at the intelligence, the the metaphor, the, mm-hmm. the you know, that's such deep, um, you know, um, issues that are being explored in Watchmen. I say to everybody who hasn't seen it, go watch it. Regina King. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, again, so proud to have been on that one. Um, and then normal people. um so first of all, as I say, you know, my dad's from Clonmel, which is, you know, just a bit down from from Dublin. My mum's from Cookstown, County Tyrone. So reading Normal People, first of all, it's just like, oh, I've got it in my gut. Reading I could not Sally put Rig- that book down. I really could not put it down. And like, I, I'm a pretty um, like slow reader. It takes me a little while to like get into a book. I finished that book in like three days. I like couldn't, I literally could not put it down. It was the my favorite book of the summer for sure. Absolutely. And I was the same 
But while I was reading it, I was so impacted by, oh, my God, the description of these people coming together in their intimate moments was just beyond anything. Oh. And it's so lovely, you know, what Sally, how Sally talks about that writing, which, of course, is where I'm coming from as an intimacy coordinator, whereas you can hear from my journey from being a dancer, actor, right. you know, you, you want that intimate storytelling to tell, tell us something more, just like a... a song and a musical is pushing the storytelling forward any of those songs and say West Side Story you know it's, it, we were in somewhere different by the end of the song than we are from the beginning that's mm -hmm. what we want from an intimate scene and that's absolutely what Sally brought to all of those intimate scenes be it sort of loving or you know exploring BD you know you know BDSM type um, intimate content um, and um, so I was blown away by how she had written about the intimate content so then having an opportunity to work um, with Lenny Abrahamson, with Ed Gurney and um, Catherine McGee as these most fantastic producers, again, with absolutely the intention, as with sex education, to make sure that they put in place best practice, yeah. knowing that that intimate content was integral to the storytelling, but wanting to make sure that they worked with, um, you know, with best practice, empowering everybody to, to invite everybody to have their voice um, and then to make sure that the, again, the work was created where everybody felt personally safe, personally listened to, so we could all artistically serve the writing, serve Lenny Abraham's vision, and then help Paul and Daisy and then all the other amazing actors um, who engage in the intimate content to, to, to serve, you know, and tell the best storytelling possible. Yes, let's, okay, let's pause because as I mentioned before we started recording, I this summer wrote an op-ed about like five things that normal people does really well when portraying first-time sex and you are like someone who's like responsible for that because okay you can read the op-ed like listeners you can read the op-ed i'm obviously going to be sending you this op-ed ita but basically the gist of it is just like the slowness of it the awkwardness of it the fact that they're talking about condoms the the pain of it the the pleasure of it there is so much in it that I feel so strongly when two people are about to have sex for the first time, that is it. Like you, you very much crushed it. You, you nailed it. And I just think that, and especially because there are many, many intimate scenes and sex scenes in the show. And so it can kind of feel like, oh, like what's one compared to another? But like, really, this was a moment for me where I said like, wow, like young people watching this show who haven't had sex for the first time or like who maybe just had sex for the first time can really feel some like truth and some realisticness and some like tenderness and just like it it really depicted reality for first time sex more than any other show or movie I've ever seen and it it really like blew me away so I just first of all like obviously want to give you major kudos for that and second of all like let's talk about that scene like tell me what it was like to was that like your first first time sex scene that you coordinated or tell me about like the movements and the preparation and how you worked with Daisy and Paul to like really make that magic happen so first of all as it happened and I'm very glad that it did happen like this because all of that was shot in what was Connell's bedroom and but um but it was shot in a studio so a mock-up of his bedroom um, and so all the work actually was done right at the end of that first block. 
but I'm very glad it was because by then Paul and Daisy and I with Lenny had obviously done quite a lot of intimate content. We've done all the stuff in um, Marianne's family home and then all the stuff in um, in her, her, her college home in, in Dublin. So as it happened, and we all knew that it was a very, very important intimate scene, but it was actually the very last one that I shot with um, with with Lenny. So so first of all, you know, so having having you know children who had you know young adults now who had recently gone through that that sense of mm-hmm. understanding how important it is to bring empowerment and, and openness to to that first time awakening to not make it something shameful or anything, you know, that it is, it's natural, it's normal, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing for someone to go to open up to their sexual awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I would say that's very unconsciously what I brought to it. Um, and, um, and then, you know, you, thank you for the kudos and oh what gosh, you're offering to me. But, but, um, but I was literally being just being off service as this role is, you know, um, Sally Rooney is the person that had put each one, each, all of that detail in there. Um, and then, you know, um, Lenny Abrahamson's vision of how then, you know, how, what his vision of, of this lovely gentle journey. And of course, what I love um, is that, of course, an intimate moment doesn't start from the first time they touch each other intimacy starts from that very beginning and I love it I love it that they're sat opposite each other with distance mm-hmm. you know and and of course the initial intimacy isn't what they do to each other but what they're saying to each other what they're inviting that she's inviting you know saying oh sure I'm sure think people don't you know think I'm this and I'm that and then he's acknowledging that actually he doesn't know how he feels they're opening themselves to each other they're allowing them to see into each other from that dialogue that finally lifts to that coming together. So it starts right from there. And um, and I have to say, you know, because we knew the process really well and it was a small room, so I can take, you know, sort of absolutely it's Lenny's vision. So Lenny and Paul and Daisy had actually, they were in the room and they'd, you know, um, you know they'd done their actor-director rehearsals already and created a basic shape. Um, you know, the room was tiny. So once they'd done that, they brought me in to, to um, you know, to show them the basic shape. And then, of course, that I was able to support all of those moments of the detail, like of taking the clothes off. For me, the next one that I feel is so important and I'm so proud of doing, and but again, it's Sally wrote it, is then that moment of pleasure as yes. they stand there first naked, you know, him reaching forward and pleasuring her. Yes, and the, her. the play before yeah. penetration. Like that is, you need it. You just need it. And like, it's just so... It's a very, you know, intentional but almost simple moment where they're just like, let's just like touch each other for a second before we lay down on the bed. And it really made the progression of the scene feel so like settled and it just really like really centered it. I just loved that moment, too. I wrote about that as well. Yes. But also what I love and what Sally writes and what's so, 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 so beautiful is with Marianne's character that while she is the innocent one, she's having her sexual awakening, um, she's not passive. Mm -hmm. She's not just done two. So first of all, right from the get-go, she's the one that's saying, can we take our clothes off now? So she's the one that's offering. So there's no question of her being done two. It's her offering, her inviting and wanting and being ready for. Um, So it's not just him reaching forward and pleasuring her. She reaches forward, that looking down as we, you know, that vision of she's seeing that erect penis, her her going to touch and him. So it's so that empowerment on both masculine and feminine. He's pleasuring her, but then she pleasures him. Mm -hmm. 
So again, you know, so we, again, you know, obviously no, never is a genitalia touched. So we're looking at where the hand goes, agreement and consent, whereabouts on the thigh, you know, is touched, what movement you need to do that tells the right storytelling. And of course, just like any good punch, the punch isn't sold by who throws the punch, but on how you, who receives the punch, mm-hmm. you know. So again, here it's like the, the story is told not on on what the action is but how it's received how that pleasure is received so again you know helping to to find the timing of that the rhythm of that you know the 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 response to that and then like you say then getting onto the bed asking for um protection and And that the the moment also where he's like um we can stop whenever you want like again it's it's so small but like young women who watch that should expect that from their partner that they have sex with for the first time, for the third time, for the 50th time. Like, that should be part of normal conversation. Like, hey, this might seem obvious, maybe it's not, but, like, if it hurts or if you want to stop at any time for any reason, we can stop. And, like, that is just so important for people to hear. I just love that moment as well. Isn't it? And to be able to, I mean, those, the, those, both those things, the fact, the fact that she can ask for protection and that pause and waiting for it without it ruining the sense of the juiciness mm-hmm. and the and the zing and the erotic eroticness of the moment, and then him being able to say, like you say, of like you know, offering that pausing, that consent, that acknowledgement. Um, and I have this beautiful book, um, you know, that has a statement that consent is a process not a moment just because you said yes in one moment does not mean that consent yeah same here so it's um hunting girls oh i love that yeah and it's um sexual violence from the hunger games to um campus rape but um but it's sort of and um and yes and it's it's a lovely consent is not a moment but a process consent Mm -hmm. that was freely given in the beginning can be withdrawn at any time so and again that's what we're bringing in as in the creation of the work in intimacy coordination is that aspect of consent ongoing um, yeah and um so yeah so that moment of that and then so great that you, and it's so important isn't it that um that just you can stay aware and having dialogue speaking with you know that um so you know so often it's like we were supposed to just or the myth that we're supposed to just know what each other wants once yeah. you get into being physical and you stop speaking to each other and actually, no, you can keep the dialogue going. And then the next bit for me, um, intimacy cord or physical storytelling wise, was that moment of penetration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. And the, that it's re- the wincing a little, but then the, you know, it made, made me feel better a little bit down the line. And I think the one thing, and I was thinking about this before we started recording, but the one thing that I'm curious to hear your opinion on, because I don't know how realistic this is, but it's my like hope for the future is like, what would it have also looked like if we included lube in that scene? Like, what would it have been yeah. like if if Connell was like, and I also, like, have this lube if we, like, want to try it. And, like, it was just, like, just snuck in there, you know? Because I think the next step to this was just, like, yes, your first time, like, might very well hurt. And also, like, lube might make it feel better. And, like, you know, like, what, what's your what's your thought on that? I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and again, you know, um, with for me educating myself with more and more detail of mm-hmm. the anatomy of arousal, um, yeah, is is 
is making sure that I, as an intimacy coordinator, am able to share that anatomical detail and then help to continue to make intimate moments better. Um, but on that score, one of the places that we absolutely made sure we brought the lube in was in I May Destroy You. Let's get into it. Let's talk about that. Because I, <laughs> I know that before, again, before we started recording, we kind of talked about this and specifically about the queer scenes that you worked on. And I'm curious to hear about that and, and the importance. And that, that show, I still think about that show. And like, for those of you who haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It is so expansive. Like it is just, there is so much in it. And I think I'm still months later thinking about the way that the scenes went and that it, how it ended. And j there's just so much in it. And so I'm super curious to hear the scenes that you worked on and and how like illuminating that was for you and and what's so fantastic about Michaela's writing is the complexity that no character is black and white there's no good mm -hmm. or bad character the um you know sort of Michaela the yeah, Michaela's character Arabella you know yes yeah, she was done too but then she also you know in her response to to Papa and his behavior and and um play, playing Kwame Kwame's character you know, again, yes, he was assaulted, he was done to, but then his choice to go and have sex with a woman and choose to withhold the f telling her the fact that he is, in fact, a gay man. So all of that, um, all the beauty of that complexity, and it's so real, that's just, isn't it? The, you know, our life is fundamentally lived in the grey area. You know, yes, yes they're beautiful, and our, our, our complete yeses, and we have our, you know, and then absolutely, you know, our, our no's or places that we've been assaulted or violated. Mm. But there's so much in that grey area of... um you know sort of when we don't have the courage or we just withhold a little bit of information and and um you know none of us are um are walking saints or or evil you know though you know and that's what was um so amazing about Michaela's writing and and working on that production as well the um the ongoing interrogation and development of the script, you know, mm -hmm. as as we were going along, there was, as Michaela um, said in one of the interviews, I didn't know it was this number while we were doing it, but um, there was 174 rewrites. Wow, that's wild. That's so many. I did not know that at all. This is it. And like, I'm, you know, I was saying to, you know, after, you know, one day, oh, what are you doing this weekend? She goes, oh, I'm rewriting episode seven and eight. My you know, you know, and what she held, the fact that she was executive producer, writer, co-director. Oh, my God. Star. And and star. Wow. And and and, and watching her, watching Michaela um, jump, we move hats, you know, sort of like I'd meet up with her for breakfast and we'd be having a chat and we'd be into the scenes as an actor. And then on that day, she'd finish her scenes and she'd bang into her own clothes and she's right next to the most amazing, beautiful, beautiful Sam Miller her co-director, who is the most gorgeous, generous soul, right next to him, then co-directing. And then she goes, oh, at lunchtime, oh, I've just got to go off for an executive producer's meeting. Oh, my God. You know, and, you know, and the then talent. she's saying to me, yeah, the talent. And then she's saying to me, oh, I've got to do these rewrites this weekend. Oh my God. Um, but but the ongoing creativity is, as as you know, and, and I sort of like I got to the point that I as I'm a dyslexic person. So I find reading takes me a long time. So I got to that. I was as I was receiving different draft after draft. I had to just wait and then just read the draft that was then ready as we were working on it, because I couldn't quite handle right, this the back thing. and forth. But the sense of the creativity throughout the arc of the whole filming of it felt more like a theatre performance, a theatre experience of their ongoing and, and discovering and knowing more and more about what what the piece was as as it was happening. Um, but um, but yeah, so back to lube. Back to <laughs> um, lube. <laughs> so um, 
So again, the the scenes with Kwame, where he first of all has the um, you know the consensual um, sexual encounter, um, and then you know then going into as he's about to leave, and that's you know characters stopping him from leaving, and then going into um, um, you know sort of that abusive moment. But in the consensual sex, you know when Kwame's characters, you know he's off he's he's offered to have sex without protection of a condom, and goes mm, I don't do that. You know, so again, seeing that that no, and then they're asking for protection, and then you see his he gets out the condom and the lube, mm-hmm. and then it was very cl- clear that then the choreography is that he uses the KY jelly on himself and then onto the anus, and again for again for that that was really important, and then in particular again trying to really honour and be clear and detailed and precise then with the time that it takes for penetration for anal sex you know right. so um, again trying to make sure and not just penetration but withdrawal mm-hmm. you know you, you don't you can't withdraw just in an instant so um so again those are the details that we brought uh, you know looked at um as well as the position of the legs if you're having penetrative anal sex face to face what the position of the pelvis has to be where the legs go mm-hmm. um again making sure that we're you know checking in with people from the um queer community so we can make sure that that, that detail is correct yeah that it's accurate um, yeah i think as for me i I kind of uh, identify in terms of my sexual orientation as mostly straight. I think like, you know, a lot of people, especially in our line of work, are like, "Mm, I don't know, clearly there's a spectrum and clearly there's a lot of people you can feel attraction to and romance and all of these things. So that's how I identify. But when I'm not exposed to queer cis man and cis man sex, you know, that's not the type of pornography I watch. That's not usually the type of like TV shows that I end up watching with those scenes. And so when I did see the legs up like that, I was like, oh, I don't know if I've really seen like that kind of sex. And that's like really important to show exactly what you said, the accuracy of that type of sex. And I just thought that was a really eye opening moment for me again, as this person who doesn't consume those type of scenes often. That's right. So what I feel is really important and what I can bring through interrogating the scene, having those conversations, bringing the detail to the intimate content is that we get the anatomical detail right. For me, I know that when I'm watching an intimate scene and the anatomy doesn't work. So, for example, there was a sex scene that um, they're having sex. So she's lying on the bed and he stood. Yeah. So that's and they're penetrative sex and they're in a lovely rhythm. Great. And then he gathers her and pulls him to her and lifts her off the bed and turns and puts her against the wall and they continue having penetrative sex against the wall. Great. But then suddenly he just flips her. He just turns her and he just carries on with the rhythm. And I'm going, now, he's either he's either Mr. Stretchy, um, you know, and he's got the everlast, you know, ever-elastic penis uh-huh. or, you know, there, there needed to have been withdrawal. And then you turn somebody and then there needs to be repenetration. Yeah. It's actually quite hard to repenetrate vaginally if someone's just stood against the wall. You need to have knees bent. You need to extend the pelvis back towards. Yeah. It takes something to refine the vagina, to repenetrate before you can continue. So by then, I'm out of it. I'm done. Exactly. You know, I'm going, this ain't real. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's supposed to be a really poignant moment. And, and I'm and I'm out of it. I don't believe in it. Yeah. So for me, you know, whereas when the anatomical detail is correct... And that's what I believe. And we're telling emotional stories. You know, um, we want to stay engaged in these characters and these characters storytelling throughout this intimate scene. Um, and in order to do that, when I get in my gut that it's real, that the the anatomy is telling the right storytelling, then I can stay actually taking that as a given and yep. staying engaged with character. But as soon as anatomically it doesn't tell the right storytelling, I go, out. yeah, 
yeah, check out. Exactly. So that's why I think it's so important. And I've had a couple of times, like I was on a production recently where um, I was sat in the producer's tent and um, and when I was noting it, I was going, mm-mm, there wasn't, his legs are too straight, he needs to bend his knees um, and you don't, didn't get the moment of penetration. And this um, director said, I, I would never give an actor that kind of note. But it's like... You know, the, the, the role of the intimacy, she didn't understand actually what it is that we bring. You know, if a fight, if a, if a, if a punch isn't choreographed so that it's the right camera angles and you believe that it could, you know, that, that punch could engage with someone's face, you just go, well, I don't believe that. Or if you t- and then the, the person who receives the punch turned the opposite direction they should have, yes! pun- like, turned, yes! then it's not believable. Yeah, so, so again, it's not, it's, yeah, it's actually about bringing the best the best work so the actors can stay really in those characters and we can stay in those characters anyway so that's where the details so i have things like the gamer sutra oh love it you know and you see all the all my all my notes, notes for yeah. you know so again um where we have some um oh yeah so so here's some other ones of of anal sex um facing anal sex there i just saw it there a moment yeah, just um, realistic portrayals of what that looks like for yeah, people. Yeah, so, so, you know, so, so mm-hmm. when we're looking at, at, at what's possible, what what's believable, and then again, honouring that community, and then for the queer, lesbian, you know, sort of, of you know, this, this is oh, a brilliant book. It. Wow, that's a big book, the whole lesbian it sex is. book. It is, and it's got beautiful narrative, beautifully talking not just about the anatomical detail, but the emotional and psychological connection. And again, all of that really matters. You know, queer female storytelling is so much about the emotional connection, that desire and that need to, you know, press to come to be. Um, and that's a journey in. So again, making sure that the, you know, that journey in towards the intimate content is telling the right storytelling, emotion, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically um yes yes that's actually that was going to be my next question and you informed me about this recent article um that Kira Knightley was featured in but the question was like why is it so important for tv shows to include an intimacy specialist in their production team and like can you talk a little bit about the Kira Knightley article that you were sharing me on earlier so um so so now that there is the role of the intimacy coordinator. And as you can see, it's not, you know, sort of, you know, there are, it's at the beginning, it was sort of, oh, it's about safety, you know, and I had on a production where a producer's called us in, but not really understood or, or really embraced everything that we bring. And as you can hear, just like, um, well, they said to me, you're here for the girl, right? And it's like, would you say to a stunt coordinator here, you're here for the goodie? So the actors that's playing the good are here for them, but you don't need to talk to anybody else and you certainly don't need to choreograph anything. And it's mm. like, that's the same analogy. And it's like, oh, yeah. you know, it, me- it means that they, they're, they're, they're using an nth, a, you know, a tenth of what it is, the skills that we are bringing. Um, we also have to respect, you know, and that is a big part of the, of the role actually is, you know, from having, you know, the whole um, arc of what it is we offer each job is different, what each director wants, what each producer wants, what each actor wants is different. And that in a way is as much of the um of the role is then reading the room, um, and then adapting and shifting and changing because obviously um, you know, putting in place agreement and consent, it works both ways, you know, mm-hmm. sort of means it gives it provides the opportunity for that agreement and consent both of what the director wants, what the producer wants, what the project director wants, what's good for the actors, agreement and consent for the actor of 
what's good for them, um, how they're being touched, um, their simulated sexual content and their nudity content. Um, and then, like I say, through to then we're bringing skills as the intimacy coordinator to um, choreograph this this body dance mm-hmm. um and we're, and we're bringing skills of where of, of like i say detail of anatomy um where to hold if, if you if you want a body if you want a rhythm through from penetration through to that rhythm building rhythm through to orgasm you know we're bringing the detail of of that that rhythm and choreographing it really clearly um so so kira knightley's comments you know that's what we're bringing is complete focus on serving storytelling, serving director. And um, and so an actor, I really believe an actor will feel vulnerable when they feel that what's been asked of them is gratuitous. Mm. Whereas when it's really clear through that actor director part of the, you know, that interrogation, um, through the actor director conversation, as you do with any scene, why is that this scene here? What's what's it telling us about the storytelling? How is it pushing the storytelling forward? Mm-hmm. What's it telling us about each character individually and then each character in relationship? Once those questions have been asked and and you know answered, and then that's what we you know already then a physical shape will become apparent from those from that interrogation of the scene. And then once you get that up, that up on its feet, that's what you're honouring, and the actor knows that every single like just as you described with um the top of um episode two in normal people every single detail is then serving that storytelling right so what kira kira knightley is talking about is the times at which as she said i i don't want it to be those horrible sex scenes where you're all greased up and um everybody is just is grunting mm-hmm. you know so that's a sense of it's the, it's the act for the act itself rather than really focusing on the storytelling um and um yeah so so she's speaking about you know not wanting to, to re-offer her skill, her artistry to those kind of intimate scenes. Um, and and that's what we can give as an intimacy coordinator is making sure regardless of whether it's a male director or a female director, that we can help the whole production mm-hmm. Yes, to, to create the intimate content, as I've described, honouring storytelling, honouring director's vision, honouring and giving time and space for the actor's autonomy, empowerment through agreement and consent of touch, of yes. nudity, of sexual content, so that we create a scene where the actor is personally safe so that they artistically can give their all to the intimate scene. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. And I also think it's really cool how Kira Knightley can and other actors and actresses do kind of have the power to be like, hey, like, I'm in a position to say, like, I want to be involved in certain types of sex scenes, and I don't want them to be meaningless. And basically, because like, when they when certain type of sex scenes show how unrealistic and potentially harmful that they could be, and millions and millions of people watch that predominantly like young people or just people in general, that that becomes normalized as something that actually shouldn't be normalized. Like that's not a healthy way to engage in sex and intimacy sometimes. And so when actors speak up like that and they use their power for good to say, I only want to be involved in sex scenes that are realistic, have consent, X, Y, and Z, then that, that alters the norm of like what audience members are viewing. 
Absolutely. You know, it's so fantastic. You know, like you say, she, um, Kira Knightley has a platform through her profile and through the fantastic work that she does and through her speaking about her deep integrity, both as an artist, but also as a mother and as mm-hmm. a parent, you know, talking about what she is happy for her, her children to see or not see, um, which is all just, you know, it's just fantastic. Um, you know, to have a voice, but also as a woman in the industry to have that voice. Um, and then, you know, to be able to to, to champion that and really honour and get behind that and then say, and here, as the intimacy coordinator, we can help, you know, we, we the process that we're now bringing with that intimate content means that all your concerns and all of your um you know sort of your past experiences you don't have to re-experience that which is creating work in a better way mm-hmm. and that's and that's what's been so fantastic I felt very humbled and and you know taken aback and delighted in the different communities this this year in particular as a result of normal people and I may destroy you so for example I've been contacted um, someone's making a, a documentary for the BBC around the positive effect of the intimate content, for example, in normal people um, for kids in secondary schools. Love and particularly, as, as you've said, about, you know, a positive um, depiction of um, first time a, a sexual awakening um, and consent and, um, you know, and asking for protection. Um, and they said they're going to they're using that that um, that scene um, as part of their sex education. Oh, I've been contacted. I know. I know it's amazing. And I've been contacted by, by people from the queer male black community saying, thank you. Thank you for the first time we've been seen. They are saying we need it to go further. Right. I'm saying, great, write it. You take responsibility to write it. But mm. yes, you know, um, there's the complexities of these stories need to be told. And then um, it's a sin. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to see it's a sin yet. No, not yet. Have you heard about it? No, I've never even heard of it. Okay, so it's Russell T. Davis has written about the, um, you know, queer male um, life in the 80s and then the rise of um, the HIV and AIDS epidemic. Um, And, you know, my um, my life was that I was a musical theatre dancer in the 80s uh, with all of my um, beautiful colleagues. You know, my my life would be you'd you'd get you'd go to the pineapple, you'd sit in the in the cafe and you'd wait to go to Charles Organ's classes or Jack Gunn's classes. And um, and um, yeah, so. You know, so the experience of the HIV and the stigma that the 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 queer male community that it that it that it had with them, um, you know, and the devastating effects. Um, I had a beautiful singing teacher at the time, Chris Edwards, who really was supporting me on different roles that I'd got, and um, he was the first person that he just got ill, and within 18 months he was gone. Wow. Um, so so again, you know that. Um, you know, the intimate content is absolutely integral to the storytelling. It's a piece that is absolutely about joy and celebration of queer male loving in all of its beauty and just a love of life. And, um, you know, so again, to be able to support that product production with, you know, really clear, good, intimate content, supporting all these lovely performers to create the best content that serves that storytelling and, um, and then allows the show to have the impact that it has. Wow. 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 Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Well, Ida, we have one more question for you. I have had the best time. Again, thank you so, so much for being here. What a fruitful and lovely conversation. And that's just really about you. Like, what's what's next? I know you have this documentary coming out. Um, and I just want to know, like, what directions do you want to take your career in, like, the most meaningful way that you can engage in this work? 
Well, um, I'm actually engaged right at the moment in working with a lady called Siobhan O'Higgins, who runs this active consent programme, and Lindsay Blair, who's um, a sex and couples therapist, in actually continuing to educate me further in the detail of, you know, the anatomy and the psychology of, um, you know, female and male sexual arousal, so that I too can, t- can continue to bring more authentic details, so I can continue to help to... to to portray more realistic, um, beautiful, you know, intimate loving, you know, also if that's what the story, you know, requires abusive content, mm-hmm. but just so that we continue creating the best scenes that that serve the storytelling, um, that empower the actors, empower the director to tell the work in the, in the best way. Um, so that what's seen helps to empower everybody in the normality and, and brings more proper detail of what our sexual expressions are so that we can continue to, um, you know, help help people to understand themselves better in their sexual lives um, and, um, you know, for all of us to be empowered from that. Amazing. Yeah. So, so important, the work that you do. I am obviously a huge fan. Thank you again so, so much for being on. And uh, I can't wait to continue to follow your work. Thank you so much, um, Danielle. And likewise, you know, what you're doing is absolutely brilliant. What you're offering, um, you know, regarding just allowing people to just be open, honest, um, acknowledged, um, you know, empowered in um, in whoever they are in their sexual expression is just such a gift. So thank you as well. Um, And it's just a joy to be part of your journey. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. Let's talk about why UberLube is one of my absolute favorite lubes. It provides a long-lasting performance that lets skin feel skin. It has simple body and condom-friendly ingredients. It dissipates when no longer needed, so there's no sticky residue. And it's recommended by leading doctors. They're also partnering with us to give a few lucky listeners free lube for a year. Enter the secret code word SLIPPERY into the Google form on our Instagram link tree and use promo code SEXEDDB for 10% off your purchase with free shipping at www.uberlube.com. Ever look at your penis or vulva in the mirror and be like, damn, my part is art? Clona Willy definitely agrees. The original penis casting kit, Clona Willy and the classy counterpart, Clona Pussy, are easy to make, sex positive, and body safe. While Clona Willy makes for the most personalized sex toy on the planet, Clona Pussy makes for the most unique memento. All materials are 100% body safe, extremely high quality, and easy to use and clean. Check them out at www.clonawilly.com and use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase. Sex Ed with DB is supported by Pandia Health, the only doctor-led birth control delivery company. Here are some fun facts about Pandia Health. Most birth control is free with insurance or for $15 per pack without. Your birth control comes with free delivery and free goodies. And you can get an online doctor visit if you need it, which is perfect during COVID-19. Go to pandiahealth.com. That's P-A-N-D-I-A health.com and use code SEXEDFREE to get a free telemedicine appointment for the first 50 people who sign up. Offer only valid in Arizona, California, Florida, Texas, and Wyoming. Our creator, co-producer, sound engineer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalow, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. 
Our main logo and banner graphic were created by Andrea Forgotch. Our social media intern is Leslie Lopez. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gamp. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. If you're interested in advertising with us, email us at sexedwithbb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Insta at sexedwithbbpodcast. Tune in next time.